team for leading us today. Do you appreciate our worship team and the work that they do? Bear with me a second while I pull this up. Um, for those of you that missed last week's service, I'm wearing a t-shirt today in support of our youth. Our youth are in the middle of a fundraiser where they wear one shirt for 30 days because most of our world, believe it or not, has only one shirt. Um, they don't have the possessions that we have. And so it helps us to kind of get in their shoes, if you will, a little bit. Now, we will wash our shirts. And if you're like me, you wear two shirts even still. But that's just to absorb the sweat so you can't see it. Um, I know that's just a gross thought. But, um, and so we are trying to put ourselves in their shoes. And it's a reminder to us to pray. It's a reminder to us to raise the funds that are needed for these people to hear about the, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I am not raising funds, but I wanted to support them in that. Uh, and no, I do not like the idea of wearing the same shirt for 30 days. In fact, today when I was getting ready, I just thought, maybe I have supported them enough. <laughs> and so maybe it's time to just call it quits. But uh, I want to... Uh, again, congratulate those of you that uh, were fine arts yesterday and uh, used your talents and abilities uh, for the Lord. And, uh, you know, whether you got an invitation to the National Festival or not doesn't matter. Uh, what matters is we use our gifts. But for those of you that worked hard and did, uh, congratulations to you and uh, excited for you guys. And uh, the first time I saw their skit was last Sunday morning and was just, uh, just impressed. Uh, they wrote that themselves. And uh, they put that together. They've worked hard over the last couple months, and uh, that's paid off for them. And so uh, we've got some ideas of how we can help them use that, um, not only for um, Fine Arts Festival, but for ministry. And uh, if you notice the Sunday that they did it in service, uh, which was last Sunday, seems like so long ago, um, I was able to use that in the sermon. And uh, I said, man, that was just on the fly, too. Imagine if I would have had time, and uh, I would have known the message of that uh, thing. Man, we could have really just... Uh, use that well and so maybe we'll watch it again and uh, have a whole service uh, based on the stuff that we let into our lives and uh, how that affects us and so great uh, message and so congratulations to you and to Christina and Megan for uh, working with them and uh, yeah great job everybody all right um, we are in the middle of a series um, or at the beginning of a series on the Holy Spirit and we started this last week and we're looking at the person the work of the Holy Spirit uh, how he operates in our lives, what that looks like. I believe it's important for us as a body to, to understand how the Holy Spirit op operates because it's vital for us to understand. I mean, the Holy Spirit is the agent of God at work in our lives. I'm thankful for the cross and for what Jesus did for me, but the Holy Spirit is, what, is who makes that a reality in my life. And many times we even, uh, like I just did, had to correct myself, we refer to the Holy Spirit as an it. He is not an it, he is a he. He is a member of the Godhead. He's not a subservient member of the Godhead. He is fully God, just like Jesus was fully God. And he is here on the earth living inside of us. And if we don't understand who he is and how he operates, we may grieve him, quench him, ignore him, which will not be for our benefit. And so it's important that we have that discussion. And there are, as we talked about last week, these two extremes when it comes to the Holy Spirit, where there is one group clear on this side who in a way sometimes abuse the giftings and workings of the Holy Spirit and almost make it a chaotic circus type sideshow. And uh, so because of that, another extreme has developed clear on the other spectrum where because of that misuse, let's just throw it out altogether. We don't need that stuff. And uh, we've actually even created a doctrine around this idea that it's, it's no longer for today because of the misuse of it or it's not worth it because of the misuse. And so we have nothing to do with it. And both of those extremes are wrong. And it's important for us to come to this, uh, this place where we have this discussion together because each of us have different experiences. And we have all grown up in different churches, different communities, different families, and we all fall somewhere on that spectrum. Somewhere from this extreme to that extreme, we're all here. Uh, some of us actually grew up on one extreme or the other. Some of us kind of grew up in the middle or some of us grew up close to one extreme. And so we want to look at the scripture and we want to wrap our minds around how the Holy Spirit operates in our personal individual lives. 
but also in our, our corporate body because we want the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit needs to do in our corporate worship setting. We don't want to have control of it. We don't want to, to do it because we can't. The Holy Spirit is the one that does the work. And so it's important for us to, to take this time to kind of walk through these, these passages of Scripture. Last week, the Word reminded us that we are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. He set up the tent, the temple in the Old Testament. Jesus came as the dwelling place of God on earth. He tabernacled among us. But now the Holy Spirit literally dwells inside of us. And so each of us is the tabernacle, the temple, the dwelling place of God on earth. And so everywhere we go, God is present. And I know that sometimes we say, well, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And we're going to talk about that verse uh, later on in a a few weeks, maybe in a month, because we misunderstand that passage of Scripture. Uh, Jesus is talking about unity in the body of Christ in that passage, and he's talking about two or three coming together in unity and how he dwells in that. It doesn't take two or three for Jesus to be present. He is present in every one of us. Okay, so when you're alone at work and the only believer, don't just say, oh, I don't have anyone else here, so Jesus, Jesus is fully present, okay? The Holy Spirit dwells in you, God Almighty is in you wherever you are, and it only takes one because he's there. Does that make sense? So we want to look at the, the structure, uh, not just in our individual lives, like I said, but in our, our corporate lives, and no place talks about the the corporate work of the Holy Spirit more than 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. So over the next several weeks, we're actually going to unpack these chapters, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14. So if you have your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. That's where we're going to start because I believe the Scripture should set the parameters for us for how the Holy Spirit operates. I believe Scripture does set the parameters for how the Holy Spirit operates. But that said, I believe it's up to the local leaders or elders of the body of Christ to help set the practical parameters for how the Holy Spirit operates in the body of Christ in each local setting. I mean, some of this is so ambiguous that, you know, it could go in any direction. And, there's, and you'll see the practical of it, I hope, as we go through the next several weeks. But as Paul is writing these letters to the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, he is, he is the one that planted this church. He's the apostle that went into Corinth, saw a revival, people got saved, the Holy Spirit was poured out, a church started in Corinth, and the apostle Paul has oversight over it. Now, there were local pastors and local elders and local deacons, but the apostle Paul would still write to them to correct them or to encourage them or help them. That's Corinthians, that's Ephesians, that's Philippians. Uh, those aren't just cool names. Those are letters to the church in that city. And so when he's writing to Corinthians, he's offering them correction or oversight. And in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, he's offering them oversight or correction in this point um, regarding how the Holy Spirit functions or operates, especially in the corporate worship setting. He has received word somehow that what is taking place in Corinth is not according to what is best. And so he is writing to them to correct them. And in chapter 12, he introduces the work of the Holy Spirit. He introduces the gifts of the Holy Spirit that we refer to many times. And then in chapter 14, what he does is he goes through and he outlines why the Holy Spirit works in our services or how he sets the parameters, if you will, for how the Holy Spirit works in our our services. And if the Holy Spirit does, if he works what in, in a decent and orderly way, as outlined in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, it builds up the body of Christ. It encourages the body of Christ. How many of you would like to be encouraged today? I would. I mean, I get discouraged a lot during the week. I don't know about you. Maybe you walk around all week with a smile on your face and just life is good and you're just happy all the time in Jesus. Uh, maybe that's who you are. Great. Come and tell me your, your secret. But I get discouraged. And sometimes I get discouraged more than once a day. And so I need the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. And he encourages me daily. I've got to learn to tap into that so I don't have to wait for Sunday. I mean, God forbid if we only get encouraged on Sunday, we're in trouble. Because Sunday, Monday's a long way from Sunday. Does that make sense? And, but there's a corporate aspect of this that really encourages us and builds up the body of Christ. It also draws people to Jesus. 
Okay, when the Holy Spirit operates in an orderly way in the church, it draws people to Jesus, or that's what Paul says it, it should. And so we're going to, in the middle of all this is where we're going to look today, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul writes about love, the priority of love, introduces the gifts in 12, uh, talks about the parameters of them in, in chapter 14, but in 13 he says, you know what, love is the culture or the 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 backdrop for these gifts, how they should operate, because love is basically everything. Love is one of the most important things. And so what I want us to notice, first and foremost, is that there's a lot of stuff that Paul has to correct in the Corinthian church in regards to the gifts of the Spirit. But he takes the time to correct it. He doesn't look at this church that's abusing the gifts of the Spirit or misusing the gifts of the Spirit, however you want to label it, and say, you know, it's not worth the trouble Uh, let's just go to this extreme over here and just forget about it. Apparently, these gifts are important. They're useful enough for him to take the time to correct it. So he doesn't go to that extreme. Now, if if the gifts are going to die off in one generation, why even bother to correct it? Does does that make sense to you? I mean, mean, when the last apostle disappears, as many churches teach and believe, and we're going to look at that here in, in just a second, why would he take the time to even correct it in the body of Christ? And the fact that he does shows us the value and the importance of these gifts of the Spirit. So before we get to chapter 13, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. He says this, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed, or your translation may say ignorant. Now that phrase uninformed or that word uninformed, is, there's, it's an actually an ironic statement because the Corinthian church would not think they're uninformed. They would think they're actually experts in the gifts of the Spirit. If you would go in their service, there would be tons of people speaking in tongues. There would be tons of people prophesying. There would be tons of gifts of the Spirit operating. In fact, it would, they were just operating all over the place all the time. It was just crazy. So they would have looked at it and said, we're experts. And so the Apostle Paul walks into this and he says, uh, guys, I don't want you to be uninformed about spiritual gifts. This is the polite way of saying you're doing it wrong. Okay? This is Paul's polite way of just starting off and saying, about spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be uninformed. Okay? You think you're experts, but let me show you something. Then he's, verse 2. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So again, the central part of Christianity is Jesus is Lord. It's the cross. Okay, That's what's central. And he, he, edif- or he, he puts that right here. Then he says... There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. Different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. In other words, there's various gifts that God divides among his people, but it's all God. The working is all rooted in God. It's rooted in the cross, if you will. And so all of these things have their root system in God. Now, to each one... The manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Now, here's the thing. The Spirit dwells in every believer. Okay? So if you are in this room today, the Spirit of God is dwelling inside of you. But if He is going to manifest, something is going to show up. He can manifest love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, or he can manifest in one of the gifts that the Apostle Paul is about to give us here, what we refer to commonly as the gifts of the Spirit, and he gives us nine of them. To one, there is given the spirit of message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. He's not being repetitive by accident. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of the tongues. 
All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. So when, the, when we come together, the Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of each of us, but He will manifest Himself to us corporately by these, th- these ways. He will show up by a gift of tongues, by a gift, a message of wisdom, by a gift of faith, by a gift of healing. And by the way, in Pentecostal circles, we're real heavy on tongues and interpretation and we're real heavy on prophecy, but not so heavy on the other six. That should be a wake-up call to us in the body of Christ. We like to overemphasize what we're comfortable with and just kind of forget about what we're not comfortable with. When the Holy Spirit shows up, he doesn't just give you one to keep forever. He manifests according to his design, according to the Father's design, for our lives. And so as long as you are in this place, filled with the Spirit, he's living inside of you, you become a candidate to be used in this service for him to manifest himself to the rest of us so that the entire body will be encouraged or built up and that if there's anyone here that's an unbeliever, they're going to be drawn to Jesus. That sounds exciting. It also sounds frightening. It does. And here's the thing. What if I do it wrong? Hey, that's what we're doing. We're learning. We're growing together. And we can't get, we can't like crucify those who do it wrong. And we can't let fear of doing it wrong stop us. We can't let the excess over here push us to the other end of the pendulum and just get rid of it altogether because it's important. Now, I want you to notice his emphasis right at the beginning of this passage. The manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. The emphasis is on the common good. The emphasis is not on my personal freedom or my personal experience or my personal emotions. The emphasis is on the common good. And here's the thing. What I may want to do for me may not be what's best for the common good. And so I have to take what's best for me and do it on my time, in my prayer time. I mean, if I want to manifest, if the Spirit wants to manifest in some crazy way that disrupts everyone else, He's going to do that when I'm at home alone. He's not going to do that in here if it's not for the common good. And we, here's the thing, we just really never practically teach on some of this stuff. And so when things happen, everyone's just like, what do I do with that? I don't know. Just ignore it. Maybe it'll go away. Yeah, that works. So, he introduces the gifts here in chapter 12. We're not going to look at chapter 14 today because that's where he outlines, and we'll look at those in later weeks, how he outlines how they work in the, the body of Christ, and then he sandwiches chapter 13 in the middle. When he comes to the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, This is what he says, the last verse. And what you've got to understand and remember about Scripture is, we have added the chapters and verses. When Paul wrote this letter, he wrote the letter. There was no chapter 13 that you could use at your wedding, the love chapter. Okay? This was all one discussion, all one thing. So when he comes to the end of verse 31, where he's introduced the gifts of the Spirit, and we'll come back to them, don't worry. I know I went through them quick today, but we'll come back to them. But we have to start with the foundation of love, the priority of love eagerly desire the greater gifts. Now that word eagerly desire is a very, very, very strong word. In fact, it literally means to covet, long for, or go after the gifts. In fact, it's an imperative in the Greek, so it's a command. Paul says, eagerly desire the greater gifts. And we're going to talk about why I think he commands us to do this. I mean, this isn't just Paul saying, hey, you know, if you would really have the time in your life, I would encourage you possibly to go after the spiritual gifts because I think they would be beneficial to you. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, guys, you can't do this in your own strength. You have got to go after, eagerly go after, covet, long for the gifts of the Spirit. Not so you can have goosebumps, not so that you can have some crazy chaotic service, but because people need to be drawn to Jesus. And they're drawn to Jesus when the Holy Spirit manifests himself in these ways. Because the body of Christ needs to be built up and encouraged. Because you're being discouraged at work. You're being persecuted at work. The Christians are being persecuted around the world. They don't need just a a shot in the arm, feel good type of service. They need a demonstration of the Spirit's power to encourage them, to build them up, so they can face what they're about to face. 
So, Paul is trying to convey to the, the Corinthian church that their spiritual free-for-all, if you will, is having a negative effect on the body of Christ. Because that's what's happening. They're coming in and they're, they're everyone's just, it's like, it's crazy. You've seen it. Uh, if you've grown up in Pentecostal circles or if you've grown up clear over here on this other side, you've probably seen it somewhere. You've probably seen it on TV or you've seen it on a YouTube video or you've seen it somewhere. The chaotic, crazy people flopping on the floor, rolling around, jumping around, screaming around. And I grew up in that. Okay, that's the church I grew up in. And is it exciting? Yep. Is, the, is it genuinely the spirit? Probably. Probably. The problem is the vessel. We have a spirit of self-control. The spirit of the subject, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, is subject to the prophet. In other words, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, contrary to what we have heard before, I just can't control myself. False. Paul says you absolutely can control yourself, and it's important that you do control yourself. Because what's happening is, people, Corinth, people are coming into your service, they're watching what's going on, and they're leaving saying, you're out of your mind. People are not being drawn to the cross. So the gifts of the Spirit are not operating the way they should, because if they were, people would be drawn to the cross. Now, if you are at your home Bible study, or even here at a prayer service, and everyone in this room is a Pentecostal, spirit-filled, tongue-talking, crazy person, have at it. Do whatever you want. But if in the event that there's someone here that's an unbeliever, or someone here that doesn't understand, we've got to make sure that love guides us. Love for God, love for the body of Christ, and love for the unbeliever or the guest in our service. Because everything should be about our love for God. Everything should be about bringing maximum glory to Him and no glory to me whatsoever. And I've watched the gifts of the Spirit operate in some services, and I wonder who's getting more attention. Isn't it funny that when the Holy Spirit moves, He always draws people front and center? He never takes anyone to the back corner of the balcony. They always come right here, boom. And they do something just weird and crazy and spooky. And everyone's like, what is going on? And we call that freedom. Here's the funny thing about freedom. And we're going to talk about freedom and responsibility next week. But here's the funny thing about freedom. In a free country, everyone doesn't get to do whatever they want. There's still parameters. I mean, if everyone just did whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted, it would be chaos. So we live in a free country, but there have been parameters all along. Okay, don't just say, well, that didn't used to be that way. Yes, when our founding fathers wrote the Constitution, there were still parameters. People just couldn't do whatever they wanted to do. There were still laws that needed to be passed. And yet we were free. Yeah, you're free to do whatever you want. You break a law, you're free to go to jail. That's freedom. So you've got to use your freedom responsibly so that there's not chaos. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. And so he comes here, and even with all the chaos and all that's happening, he's saying, guys, I want you to covet the gifts of the Spirit. Don't misunderstand what Paul is saying. He's not saying, shut it down, this is chaos, you guys are out of control, you're crazy, what's wrong with you? He's saying, I want you to do this. And now I'm going to show you the most excellent way. I'm going to show you the best way. And look what he says in verse 1 of chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I don't have love, I'm a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have faith that can move mountains and do not have love, I am nothing. He's already said the gifts are important. They're absolutely important. He emphasizes five of them right here. He says, if I have the gift of tongues, if I have the gift of interpretation, if I have the gift of prophecy, if I have the gift of discernment, fathoming mysteries, if I have the gift of knowledge, all knowledge, if I have the gift of faith, if I have all of these gifts operating in my life, but love is absent, it's nothing. It's like a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. It makes a lot of noise, but there's no substance. And that's what the Corinthian church was. Hey, they were fluent in the gifts, but there was a, a void of love. You say, how, does, how can he question whether or not they loved each other? It wasn't a question of the emotion. It was the question of they were preferring one another or if they had the guest in mind. They weren't acting in love towards one another. They were just using their freedom however they wanted to use their freedom because it's all about me. 
It's all about my expression. It's all about when God moves on me, what I can get. And Paul says that's not the gifts of the Spirit at all. There needs to be an atmosphere of love that makes these things work. Love supersedes the operation of the gifts. But that doesn't make the gifts less important. How do I know that? Because he said right before this, eagerly desire them, covet them, long for them, go after them. That's not, a, that's not a, just a, that's a, that's a strong word. I can't emphasize that enough. Paul is saying do this, but it's got to be in a culture of love or it's not going to produce anything except a lot of noise. And there are a lot of church services that are just a lot of noise. You know, as Pentecostals, we can be really good at leaving a Pentecostal worship service where the Spirit moved and all kinds of things took place and yet criticize our brother and sister in Christ on the way home in the car. Huh? Huh? Or to go out to lunch together and, you know, have racial slurs come out of our mouths. Or derogatory jokes. And it's common. I've probably been a part of it myself. I mean, there were times growing up, I'm sure, that I was a part of a Pentecostal service. But before the end of the evening or the end of the day, uh, there was stuff flowing out of my mouth that certainly wasn't the spirit of love. And so what Paul is saying is love is preeminent. This thing is so important. You've got to wrap your mind around it. You know, the gifts, they don't make you spiritual. I don't care. It's the spirit of love in which they need to operate. Then he, says, he goes even further. He says this, If I give all I possess to the poor, and I give my body to hardship so that I may boast, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. Now, we would look at a person that lives like this, that has all these gifts operating in their lives, and, you know, they, they give lots and lots of money away, and they, they give till it hurts, and they even give up their body, and they suffer hardship for the, the cause of Christ. And we would look at that person with all those external things and say, man, that person is really spiritual. But the Apostle Paul says, you can have all that stuff, and it's all external. What matters is love. And if you're motivated by anything other than love, it's just a loud noise. How many of you remember the gong show? You know where the crazy people, that was reality TV before whatever we have now. Where you got up on stage and you did an act and if you were terrible, and come on, really, like some of those people just were there to be gonged. And uh, then, you know, they would wrestle over the gong, but they would gong you and that got you off the stage because you were terrible. Well, what Paul is saying here is, you know, your church services, it's like God is gonging you. Because when it's void of love, when it's void of concern for one another in the body of Christ, it's just a lot of noise. And as Pentecostals, we can get really good at saying, oh, the world is persecuting us, but you know, maybe they're persecuting us because of the, just the noise. And we need to start operating in a spirit of love. But we don't want to downplay the gifts of the Spirit. Because then, look how he starts chapter 14. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. He sandwiches chapter 13 between eagerly desire the, the Spirit. It's the same word. In fact, now there's two commands in chapter 14, verse 1. Pursue is just as strong of a word as eagerly desire. Pursue love and eagerly desire the gifts. It's not choose one or the other. Well, I'm not going to go after the gifts of the Spirit. I'm just going to pursue, pursue love. No. The gifts of the Spirit are powerful. The love of God is powerful. And when you put the two together, it's like superpower. You, see, you catch that? This is what God wants for our lives. But Again, too often, we in our culture, you know, we're, we're really good at patting people on the back because they can preach. We pat people on the back because they can sing. We pat people on the back because they can perform well on a stage. Meanwhile, their character is ridiculous. And in fact, when we're taught, to, when you put people up on a stage, when you want to teach or preach, you're going to have a stricter judgment. Judge those people. Don't just put anybody up there to speak. But consequently, hey, that person can put a great sermon together. I don't care if they've been divorced seven times. I don't care if they're living in, in promiscuity. I don't care what's going on in there. I mean, look, they can preach. Gong, gong. There's no love for God because if you love God, you'll obey His commandments. All right? And we'll align our lives with what his word says is true. So he goes on to describe what love is. 
Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. This is not just a nice verse for your wedding. This is not just some high pie in the sky thing that you should hang on your wall and maybe just make you feel good. This is the love of God and it lives inside of us by the Holy Spirit. It ought to come out. This is what should characterize not just our church worship service, but our lives. I don't know about you, but this is the exact opposite of everything that comes natural to me. I'm impatient, I'm unkind, I'm envious, I boast, I'm proud, I'm rude, I'm selfish, I have a short temper. But love is none of those things. And that's why the Holy Spirit has come to live inside of me because I'm none of these things. But He is all of these things. And when I yield to Him, this is what's going to come out. And I don't need to choose gifts of the Spirit over fruit of the Spirit. I need to let them both be manifested in my life by yielding to the Holy Spirit. This is what the Spirit of God makes real to us, this type of love. Look how John describes it. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. We don't know we've passed from death to life because we tithe. We don't know that we've passed from death to life because we serve in the church. We don't know we've passed from death to life because we give all of our money away. We don't know we've passed from death to life for any other reason except love and those we choose not to. Because all of us could put a a whole group of people that we love over here, but God's more concerned about these people over here. But Lord, look, look at all these people I love. Who's over there? Hey, Lord, Lord, look at all these people I love. What about this person? What about your boss? Well, Lord, Lord. I mean, because love doesn't dishonor. But Lord, Lord, all these people. President President Obama should be on this side. Lord, do you know the stuff he does? Do you know what my boss does? Do you know what my kids do? Do you know what my parents do? I mean, you can have all kinds of reasons to put people on this side. But God says the true test that you've passed from death to life is that you love. Not just love some people, but love everybody. 1 John 4.20, whoever claims to love God but hates a brother or sister is a liar. Whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they've seen cannot love God. And it is not talking about your emotions. You don't have to feel anything toward anybody. You need to act in love. That's what he's talking about. He goes on to say in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, whoever does not love doesn't know God because God is love. Imagine how unstoppable a spirit-empowered, love-filled church could be. And unfortunately, in the body of Christ, you usually don't get both working together. But you should, because that's what Paul points to right here. God is love, and so because of it, love is eternal. This is how he concludes 1 Corinthians 13. Love never fails. Where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they'll be stilled. Where there's knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. And he goes on right after that to say, pursue love, eagerly desire the greater gifts. And you've got to take this passage and you've got to keep it in context. But what Paul is saying here is love is forever. The gifts of the Spirit are temporary. The gifts of the Spirit will not last forever. They are for a season. They are for a time. And everybody on this pendulum would agree on that. The problem is on the pendulum, we disagree about when they go away. And there are those in the body of Christ that believe that the completeness that Paul is referring to is the word of God. That when this book was written and passed down to us, this is now all we need. The gifts of the Spirit no longer need to operate in our lives because we have this, which would be great in all, but Paul says face to face. And the last time I looked, this book didn't have a face. 
Now, in Pentecostal circles, we believe that this is a complete book, that this is inspired by God. This is our our conduct for life. This is how we order our steps. It's right here. It's revealed to us. But to say that because we have this book that we no longer need the gifts of the Spirit to operate in our life, I think does a disservice to what the Apostle Paul is saying. And some people will say, but, but, but look what he's saying is you got to grow up. So you got to study the word so you can grow up and then you no longer need the gifts. That's when they become childish. Really? I mean, if someone is in front of me who is sick and needs healing, it doesn't seem so childish, does it? And if the gift of healing is passed away like we've, we're saying here, why do we even bother to pray for people to be healed? I mean, after all, just suck it up and read the book. And that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying there's going to be a time when you don't need to discern between spirits because there's only going to be one spirit at work on the earth. The other one is going to get locked away in outer darkness for eternity. And so it seems childish to need the discerning of spirits when there's only one spirit. And it seems childish to need a word of knowledge when the scripture says, when we see Jesus face to face, not just this passage, but others, when we see Jesus face to face, we're going to know everything. We're going to know in an instant all those things that you think that you have these questions you're going to ask Jesus. It's just going to be boom. Your faith will be made sight. Well, that seems a little childish. Jesus, I have a word of knowledge for everyone today. They already know it. Are you catching it? So Paul says it's childish. And what he, he's not even writing here to defend the gifts because they're already operating. What he's doing is trying to rein them in and saying, hey, what? Love never fails. When Jesus comes back and sets up his kingdom on earth, love will exist. The gifts of the Spirit won't. So treasure love. But go after the gifts because you're going to need them here on earth. You're going to need them to encourage and build up the body of Christ. You're going to need them to draw people to Jesus. And you know what? That interpretation of this passage fits a whole lot better in line with what Peter says in Acts chapter 2 when he says the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out. And he says this is what Joel prophesied was going to happen. And to all who are far off, this gift is available. This gift of visions, dreams, and prophecy. If Paul is saying prophecy is done away with, it doesn't jive with what Peter's saying in Acts chapter chapter 2, somebody's wrong, this book is no longer infallible. But if we interpret it the way Paul meant it to be interpreted, those two go hand in hand and it works just fine. When Jesus told the disciples, don't leave Jerusalem till you receive the empowerment of the Spirit, it falls in line with what he's saying here. I mean, if we can just go out and do this in our own strength, we don't need to pursue the gifts of the Spirit, well, we do. And love should lead us to pursue the gifts of the Spirit. I mean, if your loved one was diagnosed with a terminal illness, and someone walked into the room just after that and said, if you study this course, you'll be able to heal your loved one. How many of us would be like, nah, not interested? Something more deadly than a terminal disease is killing your loved one. It's called sin. And if you pursue the gifts of the Spirit, it will enable you to unlock their heart and their mind so that the the Spirit can operate. See, I don't have a lot of dreams. So whenever I have a dream that I remember, I have a lot of dreams, I should rephrase that. I have a lot of dreams, I just don't remember them. I wake up and knew I dreamed and I'm like, I wish I could remember what I dreamed. It seemed really cool. But I I had a dream this week and it was so vivid. When I woke up, I'm, I'm like, I feel like I'm supposed to pray for this person because That's what the dream was about, praying for them. And so I I prayed for them. And then I shared with this person about the dream that I had. And they were so moved by the dream that they started making changes to their life. That's how the gifts of the Spirit operate. Nothing weird, nothing spooky about it. In fact, I even did it over a text message. Didn't even do it over a phone call. Because they don't live here. That's how the gifts of the Spirit should operate in our lives. That's why we need them. Because I could have just called that person on the phone and said, you need to make some changes to your life. And that's not nearly as powerful as, here's a dream I had about you last night, and when I woke up, I prayed for you, and so I'm praying for you now, and I just want you to know that. That unlocks a heart. And that's the gift of the Spirit. The gift of, of whether it's the gift of healing, whether it's a word of wisdom or a message of knowledge or a gift of the Spirit, whatever of the gifts it is. That's how the Holy Spirit unlocks our heart. So as we come to the end of this 
scripture, this, this sermon today, I want us to close our service by coming to the Lord's table. And we're gonna celebrate communion. And if you are here today and you are a believer, you believe Jesus Christ died for your sins and you have surrendered your life to him, we want you to participate in communion with us. You don't have to be a member of our church at all, but we're gonna distribute these elements. And so I'm gonna ask the, the, the guys that are helping if they would come. And uh, I want you to chew gum and talk at the, or walk at the same time. Can you do that? Because while they're serving you the elements, I want to keep talking to you. And so I think you, you guys are able to do that. But the reason I feel like this best sums up what we've been talking about is because uh, we come from all different backgrounds. We have different ways of, of viewing the gifts of the Spirit. We're all on the different uh, ends of this pendulum. But here's the funny thing. God has brought us here. And He has made us a family. You and I are a family. We're not related by physical blood, but we're related through the blood of Jesus Christ. And this table, when we partake of these elements, it reminds us first of God's love. It reminds us of the love that he shed for us so that we could come into this family. It reminds me of the love that we have for one another. The supernatural bond that is created by the Spirit. It's not created by me. I don't have to create warm, fuzzy feelings for you, and you don't have to create them for me. They're created by the Spirit. And so when those are absent, we go to the Spirit. We say, Spirit, I need you to work love in my life for this person. And don't be surprised if he asks you to do something to act in love toward that person. Because that's how we create emotion, by the way. We act in love. You can lead your emotions anywhere you want. And so when we come to this table, we're reminded not just of our, our love for God, not just of our, his love for us, and not just our love for one another, but we're reminded that there are people out there that have yet to know his love. And the, this table should remind us, I have got to pursue the gifts of the Spirit. Not because I want to draw attention to me, not because I remember the good old days, those services where, man, God just moved and people rolled on the floor. And by the way, I, I don't know that I've ever seen anyone roll on the floor live. And I've never seen anyone swing from a chandelier. But I've seen all kinds of chaos over here. And I don't want to, here's what I want to be careful not to do. I want to be careful not to, to sit in some superior judgment on these people that maybe acted in a little bit of chaos. Because I believe many of them, most of them, were just responding to the Holy Spirit working in their life. They were just expressing it. And no one loved them enough to come and say, hey, you know what, your chaos is creating confusion. I mean, they maybe judged them from afar and they put them down. But no one came up right beside him, walked hand in hand and said, hey, I think there's a better way. And so I don't want to be hard on that group over there. Nor do I want to come over here and be hard on this group that threw it all away. All I want us to do is to be a church filled with the gifts of the Spirit and filled with the love of the Spirit. I think that would be powerful. I don't want us to be a spirit-filled church that alienates people. I believe there's a way for the Holy Spirit to operate that's not spooky, that's not weird, and that actually draws people to Jesus. And here's the thing, I don't think any of us in this room have really seen it yet. So we've got to say, let's go on this journey together. Let's make sure we don't go over there into chaos. Let's make sure we don't throw out the baby in the bathwater over here. And let's find out how this spirit of power and spirit of love works. And let's unite the two together. Because there's a city that needs to be changed. There are people that live near us, work near us, play near us, that need to be transformed by the power of the Spirit living inside me and you. And so I need to pursue love and eagerly desire the greater gifts.
I can't say, Lord, I love my neighbor if I'm not pursuing love, if I'm not acting in love. And I don't believe I can say, Lord, I love my neighbor if I'm not eagerly desiring the greater gifts. Because those may be the very thing that bring my neighbor to the Lord. Make sense? So as we take these elements today, my prayer is that our love for God grows. My prayer is that love for His people will grow. In fact, if we're in this room today, Paul warns us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 when he teaches on the the communion table. He says, if you've got something against your brother, fix it. Fix it. Go to them. Humble yourself. Apologize. I didn't do anything wrong. Just fix it. Because there is nothing worth it. I guarantee you, there's nothing worth it. I guarantee you, one look in the eyeballs of Jesus and any grudge you held or any wrong done to you, it, it's just not worth it. It won't be worth it. And so my prayer is that love for the body of Christ grows, but I pray that love for the lost grows. That we become so much more missional in our lives. So that the gifts of the Spirit are no longer about a a good church service or a good altar time or goosebumps or tears or falling down or not falling down. But the gifts of the Spirit are about lives being transformed. And this is like the school of the Spirit. When we come together in the body of Christ, I learn how these gifts operate so that when I go to work, the gifts operate at work just like they operate here. They should. They should. And this is where we learn how, in this nice, safe place where we're not going to backbite and we're not going to fight with each other and we're going to put away childish things and we're going to work toward this common goal because there's one Spirit. And that's what the Word teaches. It does not tell us the gifts have ceased already. If we're going to be true to what the Apostle Paul said, we pursue love and we eagerly desire the greater gifts. And so, Father, As we come to this table today, we are so grateful, or at least we should be, for what you've done for us. But God, your word says, I guess the truth or the proof of my gratefulness is how much love I express to others, how much forgiveness I extend to others, how much grace. Jesus, you told us the parable of the unmerciful servant that received mercy but didn't extend it. Father, I want to be grateful for what you've done for me because you paid such a high price and I didn't deserve it. I haven't earned it. And so my prayer is that my love for you would grow more and more so that my life is no longer about what I will, but it's about what you will. So that the way that I pursue the gifts of the Spirit or the way that I build or don't build relationships with others in the body of Christ or in this world is no longer about me, but it's all about you. And so cause our love for you to grow cause our love for one another to grow. Cause our love for the lost to grow. So as we partake today and we remember your love for us, Holy Spirit, do these works in our hearts and in our lives today, we pray in Jesus' name. Let's partake together. Would you stand? Would you take just a moment now and in your words, just express your gratitude to the Lord? Just express your desire to love Him and to live for Him. Express your faults 
Repent of what you need to repent of. Express the, the selfishness that's in your heart that you want Him to remove. If you know that there's a relationship that you need to deal with or work with, that you need to take action on, ask the Lord right now for the grace that you need to do what's right. And if you can do that without leaving this room today, do it without leaving this room. If that means picking up the phone and making a phone call, sending a text message, talking to someone in person, whatever you need to do, just do it. I promise you, if you walk out this door and say, I'll do it later, the enemy will come and he will try to steal that seed away. Or the busyness of life will come in and choke out that word and it'll never take root in your life. So deal with it today while it's fresh. And so Father, as a body, we present ourselves to you. We are your body. You have put us here. You have brought us together for such a time as this. God, I don't know if all, anywhere in the, the world or throughout the history of time, if there has ever been a spirit-empowered, love-filled church. But God, that's what we want to be. We want our life to be marked by love and by demonstration of the Spirit's power that doesn't draw attention to us but draws people to the cross. Father, we want lives to be changed. We want heaven to be expanded and we want hell to be plundered. So Holy Spirit, have your way in our lives. Change us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The true test now comes as we leave this place. What will you and I do to eagerly desire the greater gifts? It's one thing to sit here right now and say, Lord, I eagerly desire the greater gifts, but it's another thing to start studying, to start praying, to start responding in obedience when the Holy Spirit prompts us so that we, in with our lives, are eagerly desiring the greater gifts. So, pursue love, and eagerly desire the greater gifts. If you want prayer and you haven't had a chance to be prayed for today, before you leave, we want to make that available to you. The altars are open. This place is a place of prayer for those of you that want to spend some time in prayer or want to be prayed for. Otherwise, just God bless you as you go today. Thanks for being here this morning.